is there one United States senator who will join me in this letter? No, there is not. Not a one. Not a Democrat, not a Republican, certainly. Not even an independent. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, It's a big day. It's a very big day. Officially, it is done. President-elect Donald J. Trump, it is done. Now, you you may not have even noticed this today. You might not have even noticed it uh, were it not for the uh, for the breaking news of this shooting. Uh, this afternoon uh, near the baggage claim area at the Fort Lauderdale International Airport in Florida. Uh, as we go to air, at least five people have re- reportedly been killed there. Some eight others reported uh, as wounded at this time. Uh, the suspected shooter is reportedly in custody. We don't yet know much about the shooter. Um, the, the, the brother of the man... Uh, who was detained in this shooting, said that he had received the uh, the shooter, the alleged shooter, had received psychological treatment in Alaska. He had served in the National Guard, but we don't know too much more about that person as we go to air. But uh, it certainly took up all of the, uh, understandably took up all of the, uh, the, the cable news coverage throughout the day. When there was something very important going on in the uh, in the U.S. House and Senate, a joint session of Congress uh, today convened to count the Electoral College votes uh, and to make it official. Uh, And uh, we talked yesterday on the program with uh, with Steve Rosenfeld about the fact that uh, a bunch of uh, bipartisan legal experts found that there were more than 50 Electoral College voters for Donald Trump who were unlawfully and or unconstitutionally seated. And there was discussion, perhaps there could be a challenge to Donald Trump's uh, legitimacy uh, as having won the Electoral College on that basis. 
Uh, but it appears there was not to be. There was an attempt, however, today from uh, congressional Democrats, a few of them, to try to challenge the Electoral College results. Here's what happened today as Vice President Joe Biden, who's the president of the Senate, uh, oversaw this uh, this joint session of Congress. Mr. Speaker, members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in a joint session to verify the certificates and count the votes of the electors of the several states for President and Vice President of the United States. After the ascertainment has been had that the certificates are authentic and correct in form, the tellers will count and make a list of the votes cast by the electors in the several states. The tellers on the part of the two houses will take their places at the clerk's desk. Votes were then read off by those tellers, two members of the House and two members of the Senate. Uh, the states were read in alphabetical order, declaring each certificate of the electoral vote for president and vice president, and that each one, quote, seems to be regular in form and authentic. This is all sort of spelled out in the U.S. Constitution. It's usually just a, a, a formal matter. Uh, but once again, we saw uh, challenges to the votes in each state. We've been talking for the last many, well, at least a, a month or so on this program about all of the concerns, a lot of uh, all the various concerns about the voting, about the election as it took place on November 8th, about the results, uh, the attempt to oversee those results. And uh, j those were just some of the basis for the various challenges. The first state to be challenged as they were read off in, al in alphabetical order was in the uh, in the state of Alabama. Mr. President, the certificate of the electoral vote of the state of Alabama seems to be regular in form and authentic. It appears, therefore, that Donald J. Trump of the state of New York received nine votes for president and Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana received nine votes for vice president. Gentleman from Massachusetts, rise. Mr. President, I object to the certificate from the state of Alabama on the grounds that the electoral votes were not, under all of the known circumstances, regularly given and that the electors were not lawfully certified, especially uh, given the confirmed and illegal activities engaged by the government of Russia uh, designed to interfere with our election and the widespread violations of the Voting Rights Act that unlawfully suppressed thousands of votes in the state of Alabama. Made allowed. Section 15 and 17 of Title III of the United States Code require that any objection be presented in writing, signed by both members of the House of Representatives and as both member of the House of Representatives and a senator. Is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? Mr. President, uh, the objection is in writing, signed by a member of the House of Representatives, but uh, not yet by a member of the United States. In Senate. that case, the objection cannot be entertained. That was the first day to be challenged by a U.S. House member. Uh, the, uh, the electoral results were also challenged in the state of Florida. Mr. President, the certificate of the electoral vote of the state of Florida seems to be regular in form and authentic, and it appears therefrom that Donald J. Trump of the state of New York received 29 votes for president, and Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana received 29 votes for vice president. 
for what purpose? What purpose is the member right? Uh, I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified because they violated Florida's prohibition against dual debate office is, holding. Debate is out of order. Section 15 and 17 of the Title III of the United States Code require that any objection be presented in writing, signed by both members of the House of Representatives, both a member of the House of Representatives and a senator. Is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? It is in writing, Mr. President. Is it signed by a senator? Not as of yet, Mr. President. In that case, the objection cannot be entertained. Thank you. That was uh, challenge number two. It was challenged once again in the great state of Georgia, where they use 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems across the entire state. What purpose does the gentlewoman rise? Mr. President, I object to the certificate from the state of Georgia on the grounds that the electoral votes no, were no not... Debate. There's no debate. Section 15 and 17 of Title III of the United States Code require that any objection be presented in writing, signed by both a member of the House of Representatives and a senator. Is the objection in writing and not only signed by the member, but by a United States senator? Mr. President, even as people waited hours in no Georgia... And there's no debate. And if there's not signed by a senator, the objection cannot be entertained. Mr. President, the, the uh, objection is, is signed by a member of the House, but not yet by a member of the Senate. Well, it is over. Uh. <laughs> it is over. That's what uh, Joe Biden, who was presiding over the uh, joint session of Congress, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, had to say in response to the challenge in the state of Georgia. But it wasn't over in Michigan, where hundreds of thousands of votes were found to be unrecountable during the attempted hand count in uh, in that state uh, before the hand count was stopped, thanks to uh, Team Trump. Uh, and their legal maneuvers. Uh, also in Michigan, scores of optical scan voting systems failed on Election Day. Uh, the attempt to count the ballots by hand across that state was blocked after just three days of trying to do, sp do so, despite Donald Trump being declared the winner in Michigan by just 10,000 votes out of some 5 million cast in the state. Congresswoman Barbara Lee rose to object in Michigan, but her mic was cut off. For what purpose does the gentleman from California rise? Mr. President, I object because people are horrified by the overwhelming evidence Section of Russian 18, interference Title in our elections. The United States Code prohibits debate in the joint session. The gentlewoman, their uh, Section 15 and 17 of the Title, of, excuse me, the U.S. Code require any objection be presented in writing, signed by both members of the House and a member of the Senate is of the objection in writing not only by the member of the House, but also by a senator. Mr. President, even with the malfunction no of 87 voting order. machines that predominantly act and grave concerns... <laughs> objection cannot be entertained. That was uh, Democratic Congresswoman... Uh, Barbara Lee from California. She was cut off. There was still no senator joining her. Uh, again, it takes one House member and one U.S. senator to join for there to be a challenge at all. And if there is a challenge, then both houses uh, separate and they go debate for two hours about whether the state's electoral votes should be counted. It was a similar story when we got to the state of Mississippi 
whose electoral votes were challenged by Texas Congresswoman, Democratic Texas Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. Mr. President, the certificate does a gentlewoman from Texas, from Texas rise? Mr. President, um, I object. Under Section 1517, debate is not in order. Debate is not in order. Gentlewoman will suspend. <laughs> Section 15 and 17 of Title III of the U.S. Code require that any objection be presented in writing and signed by Mr. both Vice, a member Mr. of President, the House of Representatives I have an objection and a senator. Is, objection, is it signed by a United States senator? Yet we're seeking well, a United States senator. In that case, senator. the objection cannot be entertained. We'll proceed with the count. The count preceded the Electoral College vote in North Carolina, where early voting was blocked all across the state. Uh, thanks to a, a Republican law that uh, what would have been actually much worse, but it was gutted by a federal court. Still, it allowed counties that are uh, controlled by Republicans uh, to limit early voting, where we saw early voting uh, before the November 8 election last year increase in uh, most states, many states, certainly in the battleground states, not in North Carolina, not in the battleground state of North Carolina, thanks to the restrictions on early voting put in place by Republicans. When the uh, electoral vote, the electoral college vote in North Carolina was read, it was challenged by both Arizona's Raul Grialva, a Democrat, uh, and it was challenged once again by Texas Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. What purpose does the general from Arizona rise? Thank you, Mr. President. I object to a certificate uh, from the state of North Carolina based on violations of the Voting Rights no Act debate. and there confirmed no hacking by the, the joint session. The chair has previously ruled a signature from a senator is required. Is there a signature from a senator? There is a signature from the House of Representatives, myself, the and no signature cannot be point. received without a signature from the senator. The clerk will continue the tally. Mr. President, what purpose does the gentleman Mr. President, I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina because of the massive voter suppression and the closing of voting. There is no debate. There is no debate. There is no debate. The gentleman. The gentleman will suspend. As the chair has previously ruled, a signature from a senator is required. Signature for myself, not yet a signature Objection from the senator. Objection cannot be received. The clerk will continue the count. It went on and on. Uh, South Carolina was challenged as well, uh, but there was no senator. Uh, West Virginia was challenged as well. California's uh, uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee attempted to object again there. In Wisconsin, there was a challenge as well. That, too, was overruled because there was no U.S. senator. Finally, the last state, Wyoming, California Congresswoman Maxine Waters took one last attempt as the uh, results from that final state, uh, Wyoming, uh, were read. Mr. President, the certificate of the electoral vote of the state of Wyoming seems to be regular and formal authentic, and it appears therefrom that Donald J. Trump of the state of New York received three votes for president, and Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana received three votes for vice president. For what purpose does the gentlewoman from California rise? I do not wish to debate. I wish to ask, is there one United States senator who will join me in this letter there of There is no Jay debate. There is no debate. Gentlewoman will suspend. The, the chair, the chair has previously ruled a signature from a senator is required. Objection cannot be received. 
And Vice President Joe Biden uh, chairing this joint session then read the final results for both president and vice president. The reading of the vice presidential results for the Electoral College were interrupted by three different protesters from the gallery who were bodily removed. The last one could be heard shouting the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. The state of the vote for president of the United States as delivered to the president of the Senate is as follows. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for president of the United States is 538, of which a majority is 270. Donald Trump of New York has received for president of the United States 304 votes. Hillary Clinton of the state of New York has received 227 votes. Colin Powell from the Commonwealth of Virginia has received three votes. John Casey of the state of Ohio has received one vote. Ron Paul of the state of Texas has received one vote. Bernie Sanders of the state of Vermont has received one vote. Faith Spotted Eagle of the, of the state of South Dakota has received one vote. The state of the vote for Vice President of the United States as delivered to the President of the Senate is as follows. The whole number of the electors appointed to vote for Vice President of the United States is 538, of which 270 is a majority. Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana has received for Vice President of the United States 305 votes. Tim Kaine of Commonwealth... Tim Kaine of the Commonwealth of Virginia has received 227. There'll be order. received 227 votes. Elizabeth Warren of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts received two. Maria Cantwell of the state of Washington has received one. Susan Collins of the state of Maine has received one. Uh, Carly Fiorina of the Commonwealth of Virginia has received one. The sergeant arms removed the protesters from the gallery. The chamber will be in order. The change will be in order. Winona LaDuke of the state of Minnesota has received one vote. This announcement of the state of the vote by the president of the Senate shall be deemed sufficient declaration of the persons elected president and vice president of the United States, each, of, each for a term beginning on the 20th day of January 2017, and shall, be, and shall be entered together with the list of the votes on the journal of the Senate and the House of Representatives. The purpose of this joint session having been concluded pursuant to the Senate concurrent resolution 2 of the 115th Congress, the chair declares the joint session dissolved. And so it became official. Donald J. Trump is now scheduled to be the next president of these United States. He is now officially the president-elect. He has not been the president-elect this whole time. He is now. That, despite the fact that Hillary Clinton received nearly uh, 2.9 million more votes in the national results than he did. Donald Trump and Mike Pence are to be sworn into office officially in two weeks on Friday, January 20th, outside the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Those activists uh, who were disrupting, uh, who were protesting uh, during the reading of the uh, vice presidential electoral college totals, uh, were apparently involved with Democracy Spring, 
Uh, they issued a citizens, uh, what they called a citizen's objection to the electoral vote count. They were detained. They were arrested by the Capitol Police after standing up in the House chamber with their protest. Kai Newkirk, Democracy Springs mission director, said uh, in, in a statement, we issued a citizen's objection to Congress in order to protest the most undemocratic election in a generation and to shine a light on the widespread and deliberate voter suppression that handed the election to Trump, a neo-fascist who threatens the basic norms of democracy. Newkirk said it was disappointing to see that not one senator was willing to stand with the courageous progressive House members who stood to object and defend our democracy. They set an example for the principled, determined resistance that all Democrats must be if we are to protect our country from Trump and his regressive agenda. As we continue to struggle to win a one-person, one-vote democracy free from such voter suppression, we will continue to lift up the truth that Trump's victory is illegitimate and undemocratic, that he has no mandate from the American people. Ronaldo Pearson, a leader with Democracy Spring, uh, said in a statement uh, that as an African-American citizen, this action is about honoring the legacy of my forebears who fought, bled, and died for the right to vote, Ryan Clayton, the uh, the third protester there who was uh, speaking the uh, U.S. Uh, the preamble to the U.S. Constitution said, quote, Trump is clear and present danger to our democracy. I believe every American should take action to defend our Constitution and our freedom. We will fight to make sure that next time our election is free and fair. And so it was done. So if Democrats in the U.S. Senate won't even use this opportunity to challenge the electoral votes based on voter suppression or lack of human oversight and verification of the actual results. As we saw as they uh, stopped the attempted recounts uh, in, in Michigan and in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin in various ways, as we reported on in great detail over the past month, or even on the Democrats' own claims, proven or otherwise, alleging that Russia manipulated the election against Clinton in favor of Trump, if not one Democratic U.S. senator was willing to sign on to a single challenge, which would have delayed the results for no more than two hours, according to the Constitution. And it would have allowed Democrats in both houses a national stage to detail their complaints and their concerns about the electoral process and much more. If they weren't even willing to do that, are they up to the task that they face in providing resistance to Donald Trump and the Republicans in the U.S. House and in the U.S. Senate? Do they even understand the torrent of right-wing restructuring that is about to take place in our national political system and in all three branches of the U.S. government? I suspect Republicans would have been more than happy to delay every state by two hours had things been switched. That would have been a delay of that would have been 100 hours of time. Because 102 hours, if you count Washington, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, 102 hours for them to spout their various platforms, their various objections. Republicans would have done it. Democrats don't. Republicans uh, take resistance. They uh, take being in the minority. They take all of their policies very seriously. And they're about to undermine just about, uh, about everything that we think we know about the way the federal government has worked for at least a century or so. One very disturbing and largely unreported example of that is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. One of the first orders of business for the freshly convened 115th Congress, now that it is no longer attempting to gut its own independent ethics office, was to pass a bill which would, uh, which could weaken, which will weaken the ability of federal regulatory agencies to do their jobs, according to Steve Horn at Desmogblog dot uh, this week. That law, the Reins Act, or the Regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny Act of 2017, has long been a legislative priority for Coke Industries, Coke-funded advocacy groups such as Americans for Prosperity and the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. Its latest iteration, Horn reports, is called H.R. 26. It has the backing of Republican Speaker of the House Paul Ryan and 159 co-sponsors, five Democrats, by the way, and 154 Republicans. And it has reached full debate on the House floor this week, at least uh, as uh, Steve reported earlier in the week. But the Reins Act has now been adopted by the full U.S. House. It was passed on just the second day of the new congressional session. The bill has now been proposed in the U.S. Senate, where it has 27 co-sponsors. So while we while we've been all noticing the congressional Republicans attempt to kill the independent watchdog agency, at the Office of Congressional Ethics, an attempt uh, that was likely that was ultimately killed thanks to public outrage and a barrage of calls to U.S. Congress members' offices. The GOP House, in the meantime, pressed forward anyway with one of their favorite uh, and first orders of business. That is the Reins Act, and this is one that has long been sought by the Koch brothers and all of their affiliated groups. It wasn't. Quite as sexy, I suppose, as an attempt to gut the ethics office or claims that Russia attempted to manipulate the election or that Donald Trump is now attacking Arnold Schwarzenegger on Twitter. So it didn't get nearly as much attention, but it certainly should have. The Reins Act will mark a, a major, a major change to the way our uh, our federal government has operated for decades, actually for more than a century now. Uh, but uh, but what is exactly the Reins Act and why should it be getting more coverage from the corporate media than it is? Well, Steve Horn of Dismog Blog is here to explain. He's a Madison, Wisconsin based freelance investigative journalist. He's a writer for Dismog Blog. His writing has appeared in Vice News, Al Jazeera America, The Nation, Wisconsin Watch, Truth Out, Truth Dig and many others. Uh, Steve Horn, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. 
Good to be back on. Thanks for having me. Uh, greatly appreciate uh, you being here and uh, your calling this to my attention, to all of our attentions. Uh, so explain, please, what exactly is the RAINS Act, uh, Steve, and why have the Koch brothers and, and, and all of their very well-funded uh, right-wing Cochtopus groups uh, been fighting for so many years to get this thing passed with little notice uh, from the mainstream press or it seems even from Democrats this week? Yeah, well, in the RAINS Act, uh, I'll say a couple of things uh, responding to the, some of the things you said in the question, but first of all, just the base of the question, what is it? Mm-hmm. It's a bill that uh, uh, basically says that any piece of uh, any regulation that's put forward by a federal regulatory agency must be approved by uh, both houses uh, of Congress, both the Senate and the House, and that means any rule, uh, they say a quote-unquote major rule, anything that costs uh, the entire economy over $100 billion, which isn't very much money mm-hmm. uh, in terms of an entire economy. And then there's other definitions as well. It says um, anything that could increase costs or prices for consumers or anything that could have a significant adverse effect on competition, employment, investment, etc. So basically it's a very broad um, what what could be called a major rule. Uh, there's many uh-huh. things that would put that in place, and then if that kicks in, then Congress has 70 days to either do something about the uh, the regulation, uh, you know, refine it in some way, mm-hmm. um, or kill it. So that's sort of the, the crux of what it is. In terms of um, how long it's been around, it's been pushed for over half a decade, but now is the only time since it's been pushed in which instead of having Obama in the White House, there is a Donald Trump in the White House. And so Donald Trump has come out in support of this bill as well. So so let me ask, uh, just to make sure I understand this, uh, and, and as I understand it, RAINS, uh, it has that cute acronym, but really it's meant to reign in the executive branch, as I understand yep. it. In this case, you would have uh, the, 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 the House and the Senate pass a bill. It's signed by the president. They say, you know, we, we have to keep... Uh, dangerous mercury levels out of the drinking water and then that goes to the to the epa they spend some months sometimes years uh they're experts over there figuring out what is a dangerous level of mercury for drinking water or or, and so forth that rule uh, has a lot of discussion it sometimes as i say can take years uh and then they issue that rule that regulation becomes final but what would happen under the rains act it goes after they make that rule, after the experts have determined the regulation, it then has to go back and be approved by both houses within 70 days or it's dead? Correct. Yeah. Um, and so they could purposely uh, said just stall on it for 70 days or they could just say no to it. So they have the option of just killing it right away. So basically gives Congress another veto authority. Uh, but, you know, it's important to point out that there already is checks and balances on, on regulations, just public commenting period. Mm-hmm. There are courts. Right. Um, there is something called the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, which often ends up watering down some regulations, and there's been complaints about that anyway. So mm-hmm. there's already lots of checks. What this does is for sure give you know, bought and sold members of Congress a means of having a direct say uh, immediately, basically, over whether or not uh, rules go to die. As you said, these the rules could take years to, to work on. They could just immediately go fall by the wayside. 
This seems like an, an NRDC, um, uh, the Natural Resources Defense Council, uh, described this as radical in concept. They write that the bill could, in effect, impose a slow motion government shutdown. It would replace a process based on expertise, rationality and openness with one characterized by political maneuvering, economic clout and secrecy. The public would be less protected and the political system would be more abused. Indeed, they write, it is hard to imagine a more far-reaching, fundamental and damaging shift in the way the government goes about its business of safeguarding the public. Uh, this seems to me to be a huge change. As I mentioned, uh, more than a century, uh, it, it, things have sort of worked this way. Now it's all going to come uh, to to a stop if this passes in the Senate and if it is signed by uh, by Donald Trump. And yet I'm not hearing much of an outcry about it. You mentioned that Trump is supporting it. One might think that Trump would have reason to not sign on to this law since it would also take away power from his executive branch. But he has already vowed uh, to sign this bill. He has vowed to sign it, which is gets to the, the heart of the story here is who did he vow? Who did he talk to when he said he would did support this bill? And he actually gave a quote to a guy by the name of Phil Kirpin, who mm -hmm. is a guy who worked for Americans for Prosperity for about half a decade uh, until 2012, and now he works for something called American Commitment, which um, it's unclear who funds it, but but anyway, they support the RAINS Act. Uh, they had a petition. They got over 113,000 signatures, and so he went on the record just about uh, about a week week or two ago and, and told Kirpin, yeah, uh, I support the RAINS Act and gave a spiel about uh, jobs-killing regulation. So um, that's the only person he's talked to about this bill, Kirpin, is course not a journalist he's uh, uh, an anti-regulations advocate and he actually came up with the concept of the RAINS Act which is what my, my article kind of goes over that he had something uh, through the Americans for Prosperity that he created uh, called the Obama chart ObamaChart.com was the website for a while and it showed all the regulations that that he said that Obama and the Obama administration was putting forward uh, in a whole chart and then at the bottom of it showed hey, if we have the RAINS Act, uh, the, all these regulations can go by the wayside. And so it's kind of telling that the one person that Trump did talk to, or at least his, his team talked to on this, was a guy who was behind the whole idea of the RAINS Act. It, it seems to me, uh, when I first heard about this uh, and about the bill, the bill passing the House on uh, on Thursday, uh, the first thing that came to my mind is that this will be seems like it would be a constitutional separation of powers issue. And it looks like that was the Obama administration's argument against it previously. They called it an unprecedented requirement, a radical departure for longstanding separation of powers between the executive and legislative branches. Uh, does this mean that, I mean, because it really does, it sounds like it neuters the executive branch that they can't do their job of of enforcing the law, essentially, the laws that Congress passes. Does this mean that it will be uh, challenged in court if Trump signs it into law? If so, from whom would you expect uh, such a challenge to come, Steve? Yeah, it seems like a, a sure bet that it would be challenged in federal courts. And uh, you know, one of the entities that you mentioned, the Natural Resource Defense Council, seems like a natural person, a natural entity to bring that lawsuit, someone like the Sierra Club, probably a lot of public interest groups, including the Center for American Progress or uh, public in or, sorry, public citizen. I could see a whole range of groups coming together to file some sort of lawsuit, and I could see it becoming uh, potentially a, a landmark lawsuit, depending on where it goes in the court. So I expect this, if, if the Senate does go ahead 
and approve this bill, and if Donald Trump signs it into law, I don't expect it to be something that goes into place for a while to come because of uh, the legal situation. Was was there something, was there some new way that Obama implemented regulations that had not been done before that required this sort of response from Congress, or is this simply because the Kochs uh, and, and their... Oil fray. I know that a lot of oil companies signed on to support for the uh, for, for the Rains Act. Is this just because they hate regulations and Congress couldn't stop Obama's federal agencies from doing their job of creating them? Uh, you know, creating the regulations that were to, to implement laws passed by Congress. Is 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 that what this is about, or was there something different that Obama did that other presidents going back a hundred years had not done before? I think that they, you know, the Koch, Koch brothers and uh, the, the entities that they fund really, now that I think about it more, see this as a potential, you know, landmark thing that if they if they have all the pieces in place, they could push this through Congress, and if it gets through courts, it could be something akin to like a Citizens United, where it sets a whole new precedent. I, I think that if you look at the fact that they had this guy Phil Kirpin, he wrote a whole, you know, a whole chapter mm-hmm. in a book about this. He was on the Koch payroll. He had a chapter in his book called Democracy Derailed about Obama's uh, regulatory regime. Basically, the whole chapter is about the Reins Act. He came up with that chart and is now still pushing for it. Uh, you know, Paul Ryan goes out for you know, and says that you know this is a dream come true. We have all we have the whole government right now. I think that they, I think that the Koch brothers see this as a potential uh, sea change in government and a potential you know thing sort of akin to Citizens United. I, I, you know, I don't know. For sure, I don't think it has anything particularly to do with Obama. I think that they want to change the landscape altogether. It's, it's a you know big move on their part. Seems like a huge move. Uh, and, and it's and, huge. And and, and yeah, and and wildly uh, underreported. Uh, and and you noticed, and I, I love this uh, finding, uh, Steve Horn, that uh, uh, before the bill even passed in the House this week, uh, the uh, Koch-funded Freedom Works already had up uh, an unannounced page on the Internet celebrating the passage of rains. They knew this was coming. And, uh, and, and they knew this was coming, uh, even though Trump in the past has referred to you write uh, Republicans reliant on Coke money as puppets and said that he turned down a meeting with the Koch brothers. Yet he's in favor of this. And it seems like he's in sync with these uh, with these Coke uh, groups who knew this was going to pass. Right. And you know, it's important to mention, of course, his, his vice president, Mike Pence, has maintained a long, a long, long time relationship with with the Koch brothers. So regardless of his personal relationship with the Cokes, which may be different. He obviously hasn't spent a whole lifetime in politics like Pence. Basically, everyone else in Congress is a Republican, and, and even at the state level, most of them are taking Coke money or have some sort of connection. So if you look at what's happening, this isn't even just a federal thing. Uh, my article mentions that there's a version of the Reins Act in the state of Wisconsin in which, uh, of course, the governor, Scott Walker, has a close relationship with the Koch brothers. And so this could be something that not only passes uh, at the federal level, could pass, start passing at the state level. And uh, one more thing to point out, of course, yeah. is that the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, they have a model resolution that supports this bill. So that you know, basically everything is aligned right now on the part of the right-wing machine to try to get this thing through. And I wouldn't be surprised if it starts moving in other states besides Wisconsin at some point soon. So done on the federal level and done on the state level where Republicans control both uh, both chambers and, and the governorship. There, there was one other, well, there's a, a number of troubling points in this bill. 
that is frankly just alarming that NRDC points out. They say that the bill prevents Congress from considering more than one ruling relating to the same subject in a single year. So let's say they write uh, this month, Congress rejected a rule to protect the public from smog. But the debate indicated that there were compromises that would make the rule acceptable. Well, under the Rains Act, a revised version of such a smog rule could then not be taken up again for one or two years, even if there were agreement on what it should contain, because they can't discuss the same. Uh, they, they can't uh, look at another rule relating to the very same subject in the same Congress. Is, is that still in this uh, the version that was passed in the U.S. House? As far as I know, the only thing that has been changed were there's some additions to the bill, some amendments that tacked onto it. I don't think anything was really taken out. A lot of amendments that the Democrats put forward were obviously um, shut down, but yeah, nothing was uh, removed that I know of in terms of the, the main thrust of the bill. You mentioned uh, Democrats, and uh, in, in your piece you say that uh, Reigns had, actually had five Democratic co-sponsors in the House. Uh, do you have any idea offhand who they are, what the hell they were thinking, and uh, and of the, the the 27 co-sponsors in the U.S. Senate, are any of them Democrats to your knowledge? Because I'd I'd love to help you know light up some angry phone callers to uh, to the U.S. Senate to try to block it there. I haven't actually haven't checked out uh, all the names of the uh, the Senate side and on the on the uh, House side. The only thing I've seen is that. Um Lee Fong uh, of The Intercept, uh, on Twitter, he had uh, uh, put out put the names up and said who they are, but I didn't even mm-hmm. follow up on that. But if you check out his, his Twitter feed from yesterday, it's, uh, it's up there. Okay, we will. Uh, do, do you think that uh, Democrats as a whole, uh, we, we were talking a little bit earlier in the show about, uh, you know, their their unwillingness to stand up today uh, in, you know, to have a senator stand up to even challenge the electoral votes. Do you think do you get the sense, uh, Steve Horn, that Democrats fully understand what is coming down or about to come down against them uh, and, and all that we think we know about U.S. government? I mean, when you look at something like the Reigns Act, this is such a radical departure. And they haven't been yelling and screaming about it. I suspect the Republicans would have had, you know, the situation been reversed here. Do you get the sense that Democrats understand how radical uh, this is all about to be, not just the Reigns Act, but so much else? Uh, um, it's it's uh, still not too many indications that, that they do. There's still, you know, there's still discussion of, oh, we can work with them on some things. I think that there is at least indications that they're not going to work with them on the most far-reaching radical stuff, but um, there's still, you know, much to be uh, hoped for in terms of their opposition, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think that it'll become much more clear after January 20th uh, where they stand, even though, you know, the important thing about this bill is that they're not waiting until January 20th yeah. to push stuff through the House has already been this, this bill pushed through. So, um, I mean, the Democrats, uh, you know, looking at the House proceedings yesterday, uh, they, um, you know, they, they said a lot of things critical of the bill. When you have, when you're outnumbered, like that, there's not much you can actually do, and there's a lot, you know, a lot on their plates right now. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what kind of opposition they put up. But I think that if, if you want to look at one example of sort of what, what Republican takeover looks like at a state level, you can look at Wisconsin in 2010 if they want an example of, mm-hmm. you know, what, what they, or, you know, what an administration can do, you know, from day one. 
Yeah, I fear that we are all Wisconsin now. Uh, Steve Horn uh, from Wisconsin, uh, thanks for covering this. This is, I mean, you know, I, th- I think people hear about this and they think it's wonky stuff, but this is the most important stuff. And the folks on the right know this. They have been organizing around this for years. I suspect there's a lot more people on the right who even who know what the RAINS Act is uh, than folks who are not on the right. So it's really important that folks like uh, like you and and uh, the folks at the Smog Blog continue on this stuff. So uh, thanks for staying on it and uh, and keeping uh, us informed. And I suspect we may be calling on you quite a bit this year, Steve. Oh, yeah, I'll be busy. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Steve Horn of desmogblog.com. You can find him and you should find and follow him on the Twitters at Steve A. Horn. Thanks again, Steve. Thanks again. Okay, so I just looked up really quick while Steve yeah. was on to find out who the Democrats were that colluded, col- collaborated colluded. with the yes, Republicans yes. in the House. So on this version of it, it was Henry Cuellar, Democratic representative of Texas 28th District, and also Colin Peterson, Democrat of Minnesota's 7th District, also joined in on this one. Cuellar and Peterson that were the Democrats to support the Reins Act, uh, and in the Senate, uh, I think it was mansion in the senate was uh, well the Joe previous mansion? version of this back in 2014 the right. one that did not pass because uh mm-hmm. you know obama of course would not sign it um that was introduced in the senate in 2014 by senator rand paul of the coal state of kentucky and then was co-sponsored in the senate by democrat uh joe manchin of west virginia also a also coal state coal state yeah, so as yet i don't know what the uh, senators are that are planning to join in with this but 20, that is definitely a risk 29 yeah yeah, 29 supported it then, and uh, and Manchin is still in there oh, from yeah. West Virginia, uh, ostensibly a Democrat, but yeah, uh, votes uh, for this sort of thing all the time. Uh, by the way, the, the phone number for the U.S. Congress is 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. And I think if you call that switchboard, uh, they'll be able to tell you who your representative is and connect you to their office. That's a number you might want to keep uh, handy for the yeah, next few years. You know? 202- Two two four three one two one. Call your representatives. Call your senators. Call them off, and they love to hear from you. They do. Uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, and talk uh, about something else they may love to hear from you about. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 
Joan Walsh over at The Nation uh, reported yesterday that uh, The Nation has learned that Senate Democrats will get to call only four witnesses to testify about the nomination of Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions as the next attorney general for the United States. Sessions will face just two day, uh, a, a two day hearing rather than the four day grilling, she says, that the Senate gave to Attorney General John Ashcroft, the last nominee who was also leaving the U.S. Senate. Sessions was rejected for a federal judgeship by a Republican Senate in uh, in 1986 because of his anti-voting rights activism and racist comments, including jokingly approving of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, so he was rejected back in 1986 under Ronald Reagan when he was a U.S. attorney at the time. He was rejected for a federal judgeship, which almost never happens. And yet the Republican majority Senate rejected him. And uh, and now he's been nominated as the uh, as the next attorney general. And Sessions uh, confirmation hearing is scheduled for January 10. This is all going to happen very, very fast next week and all at the same time. And it is by design. Jeff Sessions as attorney general, Rex Tillerson as secretary of state, their nomination uh, their confirmation hearings are going to take place on the same day, the same day as about four or five other nominees, uh, the same day that uh, Donald Trump is going to have his first press conference since last July. It's all going to happen at the same time. All of this stuff is coming down like crazy. In uh, in late November, Senate Democrats uh, tried to, uh, led by outgoing Judiciary Committee ranking member Pat Patrick Leahy tried to get more days, more time to schedule four days of hearings for uh, for Jeff Sessions and to include a larger number of witnesses. There was about 25 called last time around during Ashcroft's uh, 2001 confirmation hearing. Also held, by the way, after a Republican president, George W. Bush, in that case, lost the popular vote. That uh, that hearing went on for four days. There was 19 outside witnesses. There were four senators. Uh, but not now. Not now. This is all being rushed through. This is being rushed through faster than the Democrats can respond to it, even if they wanted to. And it's certainly faster than uh, than the media will be able to cover it. They can't cover six hearings at the same time. Grassley has also refused to explain the number of uh, witnesses, why they are being limited, why they are restricting Democrats to calling just four people over two days who can uh, who can testify that despite the fact that Jeff Sessions uh, gave remarkably incomplete answers to the Senate Judiciary Committee questionnaire. Nonetheless, Grassley, who heads the committee, has refused uh, to expand the time, to expand the number of days, to expand the number of witnesses, at least for Democrats. Also, by the way, uh, Jeff Sessions has refused to recuse himself from voting on his own nomination. There's no rule that requires him to do that. He's a senator, so he can vote on his own nomination. But Hillary Clinton and John Kerry uh, who were both U.S. senators when when they were nominated for secretary of state. They had abstained at the time from voting for or against themselves. So far, Jeff Sessions hasn't said whether he will or will not. But who knows? Jeff Sessions is a liar. Jeff Sessions is a huge liar. Uh, as uh, Gerald Hebert, Joe Rich, uh, William Yeomans pointed out at Washington Post this week, they both worked with him 
they all three worked with uh, with Jeff Sessions. They wrote in a um, in an op-ed that needs to be heard. So I'm going to try to read it here as much as I can in full. Attorney General nominee Jeff Sessions is trying to mislead his Senate colleagues and the country into believing he is a champion for civil rights. They write, we are former Justice Department civil rights lawyers who worked on the civil rights cases that Sessions cites as evidence for this claim. So we know the record isn't Sessions to burnish. We won't let the nominee misstate his civil rights history to get the job of the nation's chief law enforcement officer. In the questionnaire he filed recently with the Senate Judiciary Committee, Sessions listed four civil rights cases among the 10 most significant that he litigated, quote, personally as the U.S. attorney for Alabama during the 1980s. Three involved voting rights, while the fourth was a school desegregation case. Following criticism for exaggerating his role in those cases, he then claimed that he provided, quote, assistance and guidance on them. We worked in the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division, which brought those lawsuits. We handled three of the four ourselves. We can state categorically that Sessions had no substantive involvement in any of them. He did what any U.S. attorney would have had to do. He signed his name on the complaint, and we added his name on any motions or briefs. That's it, they write. To understand why that was the sum total of Sessions' work, it helps to know that the Civil Rights Division in Washington takes the lead in investigating and trying to and trying voting rights and school desegregation cases. Division lawyers decide which cases to bring, where to bring them, and the contours of the legal theory presented to the court. When a complaint is filed, the custom is for the local federal prosecutor, the local federal prosecutor, the U.S. attorney to sign it and perhaps other substantive court filings. This step, however, is a mere formality. In rare cases, the U.S. attorney also provides input to the civil rights division attorneys about the substance of the case or the legal strategy, but the role is limited to that of an advisor to the division lawyers driving the litigation. Sessions' attempt, they write, to pass himself off as a civil rights hero is particularly brazen given his history with the nominations process. In 1986, as part of his rejected bid, to become a federal district court judge, Jeff Sessions filled out a similar questionnaire and had to provide the same information about his most important cases. Yet he listed none of these civil rights cases that he now touts, even though all of these cases either were in progress or had already reached a decision by that time. Instead, he chose to highlight his criminal prosecutions. In both the 1986 questionnaire and his confirmation hearings at which one of us, J. Uh, Gerald Hebert, had testified, Sessions indicated that he discussed civil rights cases with department attorneys only when they came to Mobile, Alabama, to get him to sign complaints. He also said he did not try any civil cases himself while U.S. attorney, focusing instead on criminal prosecutions. Indeed, he said it was Tom Figures, the same African-American assistant who, Sesh, who uh, whom Sessions allegedly called boy, who handled all of the office's civil rights cases. It therefore makes sense that his 1986 questionnaire included so many criminal cases and no civil rights matters. That renders even more suspect his recent effort to claim his colleague's civil rights experience as his own. 
Sessions's uh, dubious questionnaire is not an isolated incident. They note it is part of a concerted effort to make his abysmal civil rights record look exemplary. For instance, Sessions is circulating talking points touting his support to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act 10 years ago. That, they say, took no special courage. The measure passed the Senate 98 to 0. But Sessions celebrated when the Supreme Court cut the heart out of the Voting Rights Act in 2013 and has opposed all efforts to fix it since. He is also playing up the fact that his U.S. Attorney's Office tried cases with the NAACP and the ACLU, yet he has called those same organizations un-American. In 2010, he bashed several of President Obama's judicial nominees for having what he called ACLU DNA or the ACLU chromosome. His recent assertions to the contrary notwithstanding, Sessions has a long record of hostility towards enforcing the rights that Americans cherish. Sessions has not worked to protect civil rights. He worked against civil rights at every turn. Sessions knows that his real record on race and civil rights is harmful to his chance for confirmation, so he made up a fake one. But many of us who were there in Alabama in the 80s and the 90s and beyond are still around. We lived that story, too. And we're here to testify that Sessions has done many things throughout his 40-year career. Protecting civil rights has not been one of them. That's uh, J. Gerald Hebert, Joe, Joseph D. Rich, and William Yeomans in the Washington Post this week uh, in advance of the, uh, the, the Senate confirmation hearings next week, the shortened one, the truncated one, the hurried ones for... Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions as the next attorney general of these United States. Buckle up. All right. It's been uh, a pretty dark show today. So before we go, let's see if Michelle Obama can help us uh, lighten this up somehow here. She uh, gave what the White House described as her final official remarks as first lady in an emotional speech at the White House on Friday. She urged young people to fight for the country that they want to live in with hope instead of fear. So don't be afraid. You hear me, young people, don't be afraid. Be focused. <laughs> be determined. Be hopeful. Be empowered. Empower yourselves with a good education. Then get out there and use that education to build a country worthy of your boundless promise. Lead by example with hope, never fear. And know that I will be with you. <laughs> rooting for you and working to support you for the rest of my life. Michelle Obama at the White House today. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Steve Horn of Desmog Blog, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free, as you can at any time, at bradblog.com or uh, over at iTunes, your fa- whatever your favorite podcast site is. You can drop me an email as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find, follow, and share me uh, on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the TheBradBlog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>